This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news, and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Hello, everyone. I'm Gemma Puglisi, a member of the National Press Club's podcast team here in Washington, D.C. We're very honored today to have Diane Foley, the president and founder of the James W. Foley Legacy Foundation. The foundation was started shortly after her son, Jim Foley, was killed by ISIS in August of 2014. Jim worked as a freelance correspondent and videographer, a conflict journalist during the Syrian civil war. He was held captive for two years before he was killed. He was the first American citizen killed by the Islamic State. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, Emma. Thank you. Before we begin with the mission of the James Foley Legacy Foundation, please share with us a little bit about your son, Jim. I'm happy to always speak of Jim. He was our oldest, oldest of five um, children. Very curious, upbeat young boy. Loved history, loved to read very curious about the world, um, other people, particularly different cultures, different languages. And he was really a really good listener. You know, we grew up in a very homogeneous rural New Hampshire, he did, but he ended up going to school in the Midwest in the city of Milwaukee. And I think it was began there with some inner city tutoring, really, that his eyes were open to some of the um, inequities and important stories of other Americans um, and other people in the world. So I think a lot of his curiosity was peaked then and then went on to become first a teacher and writer, but eventually a freelance conflict reporter. He worked with Teach for America, correct? For for some time. Absolutely. Five years, actually. Um, He taught me in the city of Phoenix and actually um, chose that one because he was bilingual. He was very fluent in Spanish, Mm -hmm. but never thought he he was quite good enough a teacher, even though um, his students say differently, but um, he was very self-critical. There were obviously a lot of problems for those youngsters. Their goal was to finish the eighth grade. Right. That that was where their aspirations were. You know, they didn't even right, right. think about maybe finishing high school. And then he went on to journalism. And uh, I noticed on the website there are some great photographs of Jim returning to his alma mater, speaking to students about what it was like to be a journalist. Jim was briefly um, detained by Gaddafi forces in um, April of 2011 and uh, for six weeks. So um, it was after that that he particularly, he went to several schools, but particularly to Marquette and Medill, his alma mater. He was asked to speak to students, and he had a lot of reflections at that time on an awareness of the dangers of being a freelance conflict reporter. And that is why it's a good time to go and talk about the foundation that you've started to remember him and his legacy. I want to talk a little bit about what is the mission of the James Foley Legacy Foundation? 
we have a twofold mission. First of all, it's to advocate for the return of all Americans who are taken hostage or wrongfully detained abroad. And secondly, to protect journalists through preventative coalitions um, and um, our curriculum. So we're really um, passionate about both um, of these missions. With that said, Diane, you were so instrumental right after Jim's death of the United States changing the hostage policy. Back in June of 2015, then-President Obama cited you at the White House. You were sitting a few uh, seats away from him uh, at a press conference when he announced, and he said, these families have already suffered enough and should never feel ignored or victimized by their own government. Diane Foley, whose son Jim was killed by ISIL last year, said as Americans, we can do better. I totally agree. We must do better. And so there, Obama unveiled a new policy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. You know, we had a terrible time during those nearly two years of Jim's captivity. It was very difficult to get any attention for the issue. Um, It was really no one's job to help bring Jim home Mm -hmm. on several people's lists, but not their mission. So um, I was very grateful when President Obama, I mean, it did unfortunately take the deaths of five Americans, really, to bring this um, to his attention in many ways. However, it did, and he launched all of government and um, hostage family review to see how our government handles these cases which are usually very complicated. You know, there are so many different aspects to each case that are often unique and so, so difficult. But after that survey, he proposed a presidential policy directive in June of 2015 that totally restructured our approach to mm-hmm. hostage recovery enterprise. And it included a interagency fusion cell, a special envoy at the State Department, and a hostage response group at the White House. So um, I've been very grateful. That has made a real difference in this issue. And um, I certainly credit that administration and the current one for continuing this structure. And I appreciate your telling us the process and what you and the families, the other five families, went through who were also with you. Uh, is that correct at the White House during that time, during that announcement? Is oh, that correct? yes. It was actually more than um, mm-hmm. the five families. They um, put out a request to um, just under 100 American families and returned hostages to participate. About about uh, 30 35 actually participated confidentially, and then he invited, again, about 25 were present for the Mm -hmm. unveiling of this new policy directive. So as part of the work that you're doing uh, with the Legacy Foundation, there's a report that you release each year, and you did have a report that was released in April looking at where we stood in 2019. Can you share with us what were the two fundamental important results from this final report or this annual report? Absolutely. First of all, I just would like to, you know, one of the reasons we chose to do this report is we were thinking, how can we really find out if the structure 
from 2015's working. I mean, right, is it right. in fact helping current families and hostages who return? So that was the reason for it. So what it is, is it's a qualitative, confidential piece of research. Cindy Lurcher, a very um, experienced researcher, has been doing for us and for the last two years. And the most recent report, um, the 2020 report, found two major takeaways. The first one was that, in fact, the 2015 reforms of U.S. hostage recovery enterprise have endured and generally been quite effective. However, there are, because of the complexity and struggle to declassify and other issues, it continues to need improvement. But the structure itself has been very effective. So that we really wanted to applaud the two recent administrations for that because it's made a difference. We brought mm-hmm. innocent Americans home. Mm-hmm. The second one was that we found, however, that this policy was directed only at Americans who are taken hostage. That means by a criminal group or pri- or pirate group, jihadist group, but it ignores the hundreds of Americans who are wrongfully detained by foreign governments abroad. Mm-hmm. And we found that that's a real gaping need um, that many um, Americans, like the Sitco Six, for example, the um, six uh, U.S. nationals being held, wrongfully held in Venezuela. They were called for a meeting in Venezuela and were taken hostage, were kidnapped at that point. The same goes for um, several of our people in Iran and Afghanistan and Niger. And there there are many instances currently now in Russia. We have two prominent cases, Paul Whelan and another young man um, who are detained. Um, No proof of any wrongdoing. And we found that those Americans sorely need a similar structure to those those Americans who are taken hostage and a family engagement coordinator to help families to get their people home. Mm -hmm. So it was those two main takeaways, that the structure in place is helping and that the wrongful detainees need something desperately um, that's similar. And I uh, look at the website often, and you do remember these people, that these important voices that don't have a voice, uh, that are being detained or kidnapped unjustly. Uh, Austin Tice, Paul Overby, and the list goes on and on. Is there any uh, word that you know of in terms of Austin Tice? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it really is. He is, you know, our longest held journalist. The Syrian government has not admitted they have him. Mm-hmm. So he's considered a hostage in that because of that. You know, all of what's going on is totally classified. I do feel their family has been, I know the family has been supported and um, in a much bigger way than we ever were. However, this son's not home. And so, I mean, this summer, it'll be seven years, seven years, this young um, Marine who was in, currently in law school, who took the summer off to do some freelance reporting and was captured near Damascus. So he remains 
um, hostage at this point, and no support to a family is going to help if their loved one's not home. So that's one of our glaring examples that's very public. But I, I must say that there are so many cases that are unpublicized because of fear that if it's known, it'll make the case worse and they'll become a more valuable target, if you will, for the people holding him. So that is the challenge. Many of these detentions are, in fact, classified. So they're not anything that we, we just know the tip of the iceberg, I fear. So we do um, highlight the cases whose families um, have asked us to put their names on our website to keep them um, front and center for the public to be aware of. I also notice on the website is that you um, you do honor those, as I mentioned, that have been kidnapped or are detained. You also also remember those who have died in captivity, uh, one being Robert Levinson. And you just recently announced that his daughter uh, will be joining your board. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yes. We're so delighted. It's such a poignant Situation because we have been working with the Levinson family since we began, really, knowing that their situation. I mean, um, Robert Levinson, former FBI DEA officer for his whole life, really, a very dedicated public servant, was in fact kidnapped in 2007. 2007, right? 2007. Yes. First held there in Iran, right? Back yes. in 2007. So he's one of the, was has been considered the longest held American hostage. And their family has just been such an amazing family of advocating persistently. Sarah in the lead in many cases. So that is why we invited her to mm-hmm. continue her dad's legacy um, through our work. And I can't tell you how delighted I am to have her join us because we need people to be aware of this silent crisis that continues, really. You know, it's just always under all the other things that are happening in the world that people who hate us, governments who um, want to um, have leverage with us, love to kidnap our citizens and use them in these situations. And his family went through a great deal as well because they just announced, what, his death in March of this year? Yeah, not knowing yeah. when exactly he died in captivity. So they it's have so also sad. been through uh, such a hard time. Oh, it's been it's been horrific. I mean, their youngest, their big, beautiful family, and their youngest um, was a child. He was, I believe, 13 when his mm-hmm. dad was was taken hostage. But I'm so proud of their work because one of the most exciting things um, that has been happening in regard to this is they, there is a Robert Levinson's hostage recovery and hostage taking accountability act. Mm-hmm. It's a long name, but it was recently passed in the Senate and it right, is yes. pending in the House of Representatives. It has huge bipartisan support. And that will help with some of the concerns we keep seeing come up in our research. The fact that this is a a policy directive. Another president could come and just change it or take it away or decide it's not needed or, you know, and this Levinson Act that their family so carefully put together helps us have criteria 
for a wrongful detainee, that's been a very gray area and hard to get that designation, if you will. So this legislation will hopefully be passed in memory of a uh, brave American like Robert Levinson, who has done so much for his country. Let's talk a little bit about uh, two annual events that the Foley Foundation puts on every year, and one is the Freedom Awards that happens generally in the spring. Can you tell us a little bit about when that will be held and who are the recipients this year of those awards? Sure, I'd be happy to. Because of the pandemic, we had to postpone our in-person event, which was to be April 1st of 2020. We had this year... uh, four very exciting people and we have decided instead to do a virtual event on September 16th. However, it won't be on awards. Instead, it'll be, um, we've entitled it Moral Courage in Challenging Times because we feel these times on so many fronts are challenging for so many Americans, you know, be it because of the economy, the virus, the, you know, the racial inequity. There's so many issues our country's struggling with at the moment. And yet good people stand up and often use these opportunities to do good things and to right many of these wrongs. So we're very excited about our panel. It'll include our our keynote by Admiral McRaven, Mm -hmm. who led um, the bin Laden um, raid. And our actual panel, moderated by our executive director, Marco Ewan, will include our awardees. And first one is human rights attorney Jason Poblet who's been an incredible hostage advocate. He has quietly worked behind the scenes for many families um, and helped bring home several recent Americans. Um, One of them was Misa Zaka, who a Lebanese Mm -hmm, national, but also U.S., and um, was freed from Iran. And Mr. Wang, the Princeton graduate student, who was also there. So Jason has been... uh, tireless advocate in spite of all these things that are going on. Secondly, in terms of world press freedom, we have a young freelance journalist, Anna Therese Day, who has been very instrumental in helping organize fellow freelancers who are so in need of protection, insurance, you know, um, access to safety courses. Yeah. So Anna is our wordie in that regard. And we have an unusual humanitarian this year, um, David Eubank, who founded the Free Burma Rangers, a Texan, he's a, a U.S. citizen, parents did a lot of missionary work, and he has done extraordinary work in um, Thailand, Burma, most more recently in Syria and Iraq. He and his family are truly amazing, in spite of the pandemic, in spite of all the obstacles. And finally, because this was to be our fifth anniversary, we have a special Legacy Achievement Award to a gentleman by the name of Ali Soufant, out of New York, who's done a lot of pro bono work. He's former FBI, but he's done pro bono work for hostage families, helping them investigate and find uh, their loved ones and help bring them home. It's a great so, lineup, Diane. It's uh, wonderful. We're very group yeah, of people. excited about the group. 
Absolutely. And you also, as I mentioned, you have two events. So it's the Freedom Awards that's in the spring. And then, of course, in the fall, you have your Freedom Run in New Hampshire. And this year it's October 17th. But people can join the race virtually as well, correct? Absolutely. And and to be honest, it'll probably be an entire virtual, virtual. event. Right, right. Just because we certainly don't want to cause any, who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic. Right, so we right. decided it was best to do it that way. So we have lots of opportunities for anyone who wants to get involved to run for freedom. You know, they can run themselves or get um, get a few of their friends to run together and or to be inspired in our Moral Courage um, panel. So we just invite all great Americans. This is a time when we need everyone to really step up and be the best selves and help us with the many challenges we're facing as a nation. Diane, thank you so much. I wanted to share with everyone uh, all the great work that you do. And if anyone is interested in learning more about the work of uh, Diane Foley and the James Foley Foundation, please go to www.jamesfoleyfoundation.org. Diane, uh, you do so much and you also educate uh, students as well about the field of journalism and storytelling. And do you want to share a little bit about what you do in terms of education and young journalists studying the field. Absolutely. We're really proud of this aspect because we see it as a very as a preventative effort. Mm-hmm. We don't want our journalists to be taken hostage, certainly not, or anyone. So we're very passionate about making sure that any young American student who considers international work, and we particularly look at journalists because that's often the case, but it could be anyone doing international relations or anyone interested in um, going out in the world and doing good things. We need they, we need to be able to do that, but we need to be armed with safety measures. So we have both an undergraduate and a graduate school curriculum to address a lot of those needs. And the more recent one, the undergraduate, is in small modules, which this year was piloted by Marquette University, um, one of Jim's um Alma uh, right? Yes, mm-hmm. Alma Maters, And they integrated it thoroughly, and it's worked very well. And so we're very excited about hopefully getting other universities totally free for the university. We just want people to be safe. So we're just encouraging schools of journalism or communication to integrate safety into all they teach. You know, when they teach students how to uh, tell a story or interview someone, take pictures, how to keep themselves and their sources safe as possible. And that is a perfect way to end this interview with you, Diane Foley, the president and founder of the James W. Foley Legacy Foundation in memory and honor of her son, Jim Foley. Thank you very, very much for the work that you do and being the voice of so many journalists who have been detained and who need that voice and that support. Thank you, Diane Foley. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor and pleasure. I'm Gemma Puglisi, and coming from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., thank you all for listening. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. 
You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's Update the Number One Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.